This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every Sunday night at this time for Bible Crossfire. Hope you're uh, uh, getting a lot out of the program. Uh, if you have a Bible question or comment, call the number the announcer just uh, announced, 877-655-6755, if you have a Bible question or comment. We let the callers have priority here. The lines are wide open. Give us a call. I thought we'd talk about why we're waiting on our first caller, Ezekiel 18, 20-24. Even though Ezekiel 18... 20 through 24 is in the Old Testament and we are not under that law today there are still some critical things we can learn from the text verse 20 reads the soul that sinneth it shall die the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him can't we learn from verse 20 that the Calvinist doctrine of inherited original sin is false The text makes it just about as clear as one can make it that infants do not inherit the sin of Adam or anyone else. Quote, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. So Seth didn't inherit sin from Adam, and neither did I inherit sin through my father, Kenneth. Quote, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Talking about spiritual death. Not someone else. Ecclesiastes 7.29 reads in the NIV, This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. So an infant is not born inheriting the guilt of Adam's sin, and he's not born with inherited total depravity. This verse, Ecclesiastes 7.29, says mankind is created upright, completely innocent of any such. Starting in verse 21 of Ezekiel 18, we learn repentance is necessary to be forgiven of sin. Here's that text. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned to him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? That's always a big little word, if, in the Bible. The statement that if the wicked will turn from his sins, he will live, implies that if he doesn't turn from his sins, he will not live. Right? You see how repentance is required to be forgiven? And verse 24 of Ezekiel 18 refutes the modern-day religious notion of once saved, always saved. It says... Quote, but when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. We've already mentioned that if the wicked turns from his sins, he is forgiven. And verse 24 proves the reverse is also true. If a righteous man turns from his righteousness, then he will die spiritually. I didn't write this verse. God stated it as a fact. Now, the Old Testament defined for them what wickedness and righteousness was, while the New Testament defines for us today what wickedness and righteousness is. But the facts remain that, number one, what we've learned from Ezekiel 18, infants are not born guilty of sin, Romans 5.12. 
Number two, repentance is a necessary condition of salvation. Second Peter 3, 9. And three, a Christian can fall from grace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Well, why don't we just read Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Galatians 5, 4 is talking about people trying to bind parts of the Old Testament law like circumcision. Same thing would apply to a Seventh-day Adventist who tries to take part of the Old Testament law of a Sabbath and bind it today. And here's what Paul said about that in Galatians 5, 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, you can't fall from a tree unless you were in the tree to start with, can you? <laughs> so these people were in grace, meaning they were saved, and then they fell from grace because they were trying to bind parts of the Old Testament law, proving beyond any shadow of a doubt that a Christian can fall from grace, that this doctrine of once saved, always saved is not true. This doctrine that it's impossible for a Christian to fall from grace is refuted by Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, and many other passages. Now, the lines are wide open. If you have a question about Ezekiel 18 or anything else in the Bible, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. You know, another passage that clearly shows that once saved, always saved is wrong would be Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. Now, first, I'm going to read verse 1 to set the context a little bit in Hebrews 3. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, so who is the writer of this book talking to at this point? He's writing to brethren. That would be Christians. That's confirmed. He calls them holy brethren, meaning sanctified or cleansed. These are not just... Uh, brethren in the sense of, of the same race, they're brethren in the sense that they had been cleansed from their sins. It says they were partakers of the heavenly calling. Only a Christian has partaken of the heavenly calling. So we're talking about Christians here, people who have been saved. Now many will say, no, if you become a Christian, you'll never turn away from God. It's impossible. But notice verse 12. Talking about these Christians, there's a warning. It says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Have a friend. Has this illustration. In North Alabama, you don't see any road signs that say, beware of sharks. That's because we don't have any sharks up here. We're not near the ocean. Maybe in Mobile you would, but not up here in North Alabama. You don't bother to warn people about sharks if there's no possibility you'll run into a shark. There's no possibility that God is going to warn people, Christians, against falling away from God against developing an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God in verse 12 if that's not possible. Many churches say it's not possible. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But this is talking to Christians, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, and it says, it gives them a warning. Don't develop an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Obviously, it's possible or God would not have warned them against it. This idea of once saved, always saved is shown to be completely to be absurd by this passage. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 
5.5. Another passage that might be good to look at on this once saved, always saved issue, if you would like to turn there, is James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Let me read that. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So it's talking to brethren, Christians again, just like Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 and 12 was. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. So if a brother in Christ, a Christian, errs from the truth, it's our responsibility to try to convert him. It says if we're able to convert him, we save his soul from death. Now what would that imply will happen if we're not successful in converting this brother who's erred from the truth. Meaning, suppose he refuses to be converted. He's stubborn about it. He won't be converted. The verse then says that his soul will die. Now, we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about his soul dying, spiritual death. It's a brother in Christ, a Christian. He errs from the truth. He's not converted back. His soul dies. He's lost. Once saved, always saved is conclusively proven false. The idea of once saved, always saved is not taught anywhere in the Bible all it is is wishful thinking. People would like to think that, that once they're saved, they can live any old way they want to. That way they can do this and do that and do this and that. That's against what the Bible says. Against what the Bible says, and they're going to be saved anyway. That's what they, the way they would like it to be. The Bible doesn't teach anything like that. It's just wishful thinking. If you have a Bible question or comment, feel free. Once saved, always saved, or any other Bible topic, any Bible passage, 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Another passage that's very clear on this once saved, always saved position is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20-22. If you have your Bibles, turn there and read it with me. It says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So this is verse 20. He's talking about some some who had escaped the pollutions. Now, we're not talking about smog here. The footnote says sins. We're talking about spiritual pollutions. They've escaped the pollutions or the sins of the world through the knowledge of Christ, meaning they've been saved. Only a Christian escapes sins through the knowledge of Christ. But it says they are again entangled again back into the sins of the world. It says the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. It'd be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. In other words, they're worse off than if they'd never become a Christian to begin with. And a person that's never become a Christian to begin with is certainly not saved. So here we have a person that's become a Christian. He's escaped the sins of the world through Christ. He's entangled again into the sins of the world. He's worse off than if he'd never become a Christian to begin with. Obviously, he's lost. Again, once saved, always saved. is conclusively, beyond any shadow of a doubt, proven false if you believe the Bible. John from Pennsylvania, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, I, I just was listening to you, and what I don't understand is when you said about the Sabbath that we don't have to worry about that, because, but isn't that a Ten Commandments? That wasn't one of the 
rituals or anything. That's one of the Ten Commandments, correct? Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to follow the Ten Commandments. It is indeed. That's right. John, let me read to you Colossians 2, 14 through 17, and, and tell me what you think. Colossians 2, 14 through 17. Do you have a Bible you can follow along, or are you driving? I am driving right now. Okay. Listen as carefully as you can. Verse 14, beginning, talking about Jesus, says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So here we have some ordinances, talking about some ordinances, laws. It says Jesus blotted them out, took them out of the way, and nailed them to the cross. Does that Correct. sound like whatever ordinances he's talking about, John, does that sound like he's saying that we still have to keep them or we don't have to keep them? I'm saying God, uh, Jesus didn't come here to change the law or do anything, but uh-huh. he came here, and if the ordinances, you're correct. Yeah, all the other stuff, but the okay. Ten Commandments were part, and that's part of the Sabbath, to keep it on. John, give me, a, give me a moment. So you agree these ordinances that he blotted out, took out of the way, and nailed to the cross, they're not binding anymore, right? Correct. I, I so agree in verse 100%. 16... In verse 16, he gives us some examples or samples of these ordinances. Because of what he says in verse 14, he says in verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So he specifically says, John, and thank you for your your good call, John. He specifically says that the Sabbath is one of the laws, one of the ordinances that Jesus blotted out, took out of the way, and nailed to the cross. You see my yes. point, John? That, that was Sabbath days. They, they have so many different Sabbath days, but not the one that's the Ten Commandment one. The, okay. the seventh day is that holy. Let me respond to that, John, because I can prove to you beyond any shadow of doubt that that's false. <laughs> okay. okay, John, verse 16. It says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. That's the daily observances of the Jews. Then he says, respect of a holy day. That was the yearly observances, the yearly, like Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. That's talking about all, that includes all the yearly Sabbaths, John. Then it says, or of the new moon. Let me test your knowledge of astronomy, John. How often does the new moon happen? Once a month. Once a month. And then he says, or of the Sabbath. The word days is italicized. You know, it just really says, or of the Sabbath. So what he's gone through is all four categories, John. The meat and the drink is the daily. The respect of a holy day, that's the seven yearly feasts. That includes all those yearly Sabbaths. Then he says, or of the new moon, that would be the monthly. And the only category left is the weekly Sabbath. And so the weekly Sabbath is specifically mentioned as being blotted out nailed to the cross. In other words, we don't have to keep it anymore. The Sabbath has been done away. I didn't I, I, I still don't see where you're saying it it says the weekly Sabbath. Well, because he's already mentioned all the yearly Sabbaths when he says or in respect of a holy day. That includes all the yearly Sabbaths. He's got the meat and the drink, which is the daily. He's got the holy days, which is the yearly. He's got the new moon, which is the monthly, and so the only thing left is the weekly. I'm going to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. 
In Romans, I'm going to skip a few verses here to save time. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. And by the way, we have a question that came in over the internet, we might say. Yolanda in Pennsylvania wanted to ask me to explain Adam dying to sin. Well, you know, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17... God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now I want to ask this question, talking about Adam sinning and therefore dying. Who did God say would die? And it's talking about spiritual death in Genesis 2.17. They died that day. Who does God say would die when Adam and Eve sinned? It says, in the day that ye, ye shall surely die. Ye shall surely die. Only Adam and Eve, not the whole human race. Only Adam and Eve received spiritual death because of, of their sin. Nobody else in the human race received spiritual death because of Adam and Eve's sin. But we're turning to Romans chapter 7, verse 4. It says, Ye are become dead to the law. I just read part of the verse to save time. Verse 6 says, But now we are delivered from the law. So Romans 7, verse 4 says, We're dead to the law. Romans 7 verse 6 says we're delivered from the law. The newer translations will say released from the law. Whatever law he's talking about there, obviously we don't have to keep it if we're dead to it and delivered from it. Verse 7 helps us to see in Romans chapter 7. Verse 7 helps us to see what law he's talking about. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. They had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So he says, the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Now, where did the law say, thou shalt not covet? Where did it say that? Wasn't that one of the Ten Commandments? So the law that we're dead to, verse 4 in Romans 7, the law that we're delivered from, verse 6, is the law that said thou shalt not covet one of the Ten Commandments. So the law that we're dead to and delivered from is the law that included the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is just like the rest of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. None of those laws in the Old Testament are binding. So I think the caller said something that, that Jesus didn't come to change the law. But the law did change. Hebrews 7.12 says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity a change also of the law. So the law did change. And Romans 7, 4 through 7, proves conclusively that the Ten Commandments is part of the law that changed. We're dead to and delivered from the law that said, Thou shalt not covet. So we don't have to keep that anymore. People say, well, But Pat, wouldn't that mean you can kill, steal, and commit adultery? No. The reason it's wrong today to kill, steal, and commit adultery is not because the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, say that it's wrong to kill, steal, and commit adultery. That was the law just for the Jews. That law's been changed, Hebrews 7, 12. The reason it's wrong to kill and steal today and commit adultery is because the New Testament law says it's wrong to kill, steal, and commit adultery. Not because the Ten Commandments or the old law. That law was just for the Jews. Gentiles were never under that law. Never have been, never will be. We're under the New Testament law. And the New Testament law says don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. But it doesn't say... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Instead, it commands us to do the collection on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. And in Acts 20, verse 7, it teaches us that we ought to do, partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. 
That verse says that upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, continued his speech until midnight. And so if God still intended for the Sabbath to still be binding, you'd think he would have told them to do the Lord's Supper, the communion, on the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath, but he doesn't. He tells them to do it on the first day of the week. William from Florida, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, Andrew. Um, I was recently enlightened or, uh, let's say, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I was just wondering why churches uh, don't teach more about it. Well, I would say churches talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit all the time, but, you know, a lot of people, do you mean by baptism of the Holy Spirit that it enables you to perform the miraculous gifts? Yes, sir. Like speaking in tongues and prophecy and things like that? Yes, sir. In my case, it was okay. visions. I've had a couple okay. of visions. Okay. So what I'm going to suggest to you, William, I appreciate your call, is that 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13 says, Prophecy will fail. Tongues shall cease. It tells us exactly when those things would cease. And they have ceased. Those miraculous mm-hmm. gifts were available during the days of, of, of the first century, but they ceased, and we don't have them anymore. And what I'd like to do is if anybody would like me to send him some material on that, proving that, that 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, and other passages proves that the miraculous gifts have ceased, why don't you uh, call or text me, I'll give you the number at the end of the program, and and ask for that uh, material. Steve from Kansas City, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, I heard your introduction on the once saved, always saved, and my question is about Philippians 1.6, which I have always taken to mean uh, in support of uh, once saved, always saved, and I'll take your answer off here. Okay, are you go- you say you're hang up, or, call- or are you going to stay on the line? Uh, I'll go ahead and hang up and listen off Okay, here. thank you. Thanks for your call, Steve. Philippians uh-huh. 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I agree with that verse. I preach it 100%. The question is, is that conditional or unconditional? God is going to perform a good work in us until the day of Jesus Christ. But is that conditional upon whether or not we behave and obey Christ, or is that unconditional? That no matter how we act, we in other words, we could go off and become a serial murderer, and still God would perform a good work unto us until the day of the Lord Jesus? Or is this talking about something that's conditioned upon us? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 says this, The Lord is with you while ye be with him, and if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. So the Bible makes it clear in a number of places that are like Second Chronicles 15, verse 2, that as long as we're with Christ, as long as we're with God, he'll be with us. He will perform a good work in us until the day of Jesus Christ, as long as we're with him. That's what Second Corinthians 15 says. The Lord will be with us if we're with him. But if we forsake him, he will forsake us. So since all the Bible is true, all of the verses are true, we understand then that Philippians 1, 6 is conditioned. God will perform that work in in us until the day of Jesus Christ as long as we don't forsake him. But if we forsake him, then he won't. He will forsake us. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, 2 says, If ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Again, I didn't write that. God did. 
William from Florida. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, Andrew, I was just following up on that question about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then you were talking about uh, uh, the miraculous gifts have ceased based on Romans or something like that. Yeah, I'm going to have to go off the air, William. I'm sorry, but i got 30 seconds, so I'm going to have to go off the air. But the passage to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. Also, Zechariah chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And if you would like some material sent to that, sent, given to you free of charge through email, I want you to text me or call me. Okay, and also, if you'd like that one-hour phone Bible study that I advertise every week, a free one-hour phone Bible study sometime when it's convenient, during the week when it's convenient for you, call or text me. If you want that free material on the Miraculous Gifts or the free one-hour phone Bible study, call or text me at 256-682-9753. That's Pat Donahue at 256-682-9753.